Welcome to a new episode of the Meso TV podcast. Today we are joined by Dr. William Breen of the Mayo Clinic to discuss his study into emerging mechanisms of synergy between radiation therapy and immunotherapy. Meso TV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This 2021 season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, The Gory Law Firm, and early Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Meisenkoten. Visit curemiso.org to learn more. So Dr. Breen, thank you so much for um, being willing to join us in our latest episode of Miso TV. Um, we're gonna be focusing on SBRT, which is a form of radiation and its combination with immunotherapy. Um, and I know you've done a lot of work in this, uh, in this field. So, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling us about your role at the Mayo Clinic. Thanks very much, Mary, for having me and for all the work you do. So uh, I'm Will Breen. I'm a radiation oncology senior resident now at uh, Mayo Clinic in the Department of Radiation Oncology. Um, I'll be staying on staff after this year. Uh, and so uh, my role that I've been doing in, in this context is helping to to study our experience treating mesothelioma with radiation, with different types of radiation over the year, years, and also um, trying to learn how we can use our newer types of radiation, integrate them with other newer therapies like immunotherapy to try to help our patients have better outcomes. So I remember, you know, for years ago, we always heard that, you know, radiation didn't work in mesothelioma. Then we got the message, it works and it can work well. Um, and then, there was a lot of buzz about radiation is actually stimulate, uh, stimulating the immune system. So I think this is also some of the work that you've done and looked at. So could you tell me a little bit about, you know, how does, immunotherapy, how does radiation stimulate the immune system even prior to giving an immunotherapy? It's, it's a, a great question and certainly an area of excitement, something that a lot of people in our field have been uh, looking into and studying quite a bit. Uh, most of that work has been done in cancers other than mesothelioma, uh, a lot of it in non-small cell lung cancer. So we're treating a similar area of the body, but a little different type of cancer. Still, many of the concepts we think uh, apply to multiple disease sites. So there's a few different ways that we think radiation can uh, really help stimulate the immune system. Uh, one of them is by uh, treating more cancer cells and by killing these cancer cells, that causes the cancer cells to expose their antigens or expose pieces of tumor to the, the blood and the immune cells that weren't exposed before. And so that the immune cells then can learn how to attack the type of the tumor that they're seeing, you know, and that process is aided by the immunotherapy as well. So in that way, the radiation helps the immunotherapy see the tumor a little bit better and do its job a little more. Another way that it, that it potentially helps is we know that just having a higher volume of cancer may suppress the immune system. The cancer cells have learned how to kind of suppress the immune system of patients. And so by just debulking or just killing a large number of the cells, that may help uh, counter that process as well. 
Thank you. So there are a number of different types of radiation therapy that, you know, we come across today. And uh, I know that this trial focuses on SBRT, but could you give us maybe a little bit of an overview of radiation and, you know, radiation therapies that are currently in play and then with a focus then on the SBRT? Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned earlier, radiation many years ago wasn't thought to be helpful for mesothelioma. And the reason for that probably wasn't that the radiation was, you know, wasn't able to kill the cancer cells. It was that the radiation that we were able to do with the technological capabilities at that time was hurting the patient's body, causing more side effects than it was helping. So you weren't able to really see a benefit. Uh, with older technologies, uh, essentially you would just treat the entire side of the chest, a hemithoracic treatment where you would treat the mesothelioma, but you would also treat the entire lung, often esophagus, heart. And, and so it was a very toxic treatment. Uh, as we've advanced over time, there's been different, uh, different types of technology that have helped. First of all, just putting the radiation where you want it. And for many years, that's meant treating the linings of the lung over the, the entire side of the chest. So still treating a large area, but sculpting that dose away from some of the normal tissues like the lung and the heart. Uh, SBRT is a, a newer type of radiation that's higher dose per treatment and very focused on where you want it to go. So often just three to five treatments with high dose per treatment, and we're just treating towards the tumors that we can see. So not treating the entire side of the chest, the entire lining of the lung, but just treating the tumors that are visible on, uh, on, on the scans. And so by doing that, we're hoping that we're uh, not increasing the risk for pneumonitis or damage to the lungs, damage to the other organs. And another way that we're doing that in this study is we're using a type of radiation called proton therapy in many patients. That's a type of radiation that's able to very effectively just deposit the dose in the tumor and not keep traveling through the body and, and deliver more low dose. And so we kind of bring all those things together, all of our new radiation technology to just deliver the kind of tightest, smallest volume of radiation just where we want it to go and avoid radiation to all the normal tissues. And so that's the type of radiation that we're using uh, for this study. Some other reasons why we use that study is that there's more and more data that shows that this is the type of radiation that's the most immunostimulatory. This is the type of radiation that might uh, be most synergistic with immunotherapy. And that's for those reasons I discussed earlier by exposing the tumor antigens. It may have effects on the blood vessels in tumors uh, that help uh, more of the blood cells get to the tumor and where it needs to go and help remodel those, as well as uh, increasing certain cytokines or chemical signals in the body that help work with the immune cells. And so um, kind of through all of those technological advancements in radiation and through the development of immunotherapy and the study of how they work together is how we kind of landed on this protocol. Great. So, I mean, it certainly sounds like there's been a lot of work and there's a good basement that you're building upon. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of this trial? Um, you know, what sure. does the trial entail? Sure. So this is a, a study that we're performing here at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, where we're enrolling patients with mesothelioma who are receiving immunotherapy. And it's not specific to the type of immunotherapy because in different situations, it may be a, a little different uh, drug that they're receiving. So it's patients who are receiving immunotherapy and have a lesion that we're able to target, who have a, you know, a tumor on their scan that's something that we feel we can safely treat. Uh, there isn't restrictions based on 
what the histological subtype is, epithelioid versus sarcomatoid. There is a restrictions based on whether they've had surgery before or you know, exactly where it is. Uh, it's, it's really just a study for any patient who's receiving immunotherapy for mesothelioma who has a, something that we can treat. Um, this is not a randomized study at, at this point. It's an earlier phase study. So anyone who participates on the study would get the study treatment, which is this three to five uh, days of this SBRT radiation treatment, as well as having some blood samples drawn at the beginning of treatment and after treatment, so that with our basic science partners in the lab, we can look at the white blood cells and see how the how they were stimulated by the radiation uh, by comparing before radiation to after radiation. Now, if patients have multiple sites of disease, are you radiating multiple sites or do you have a target lesion that you work with? Great question. And that's something that um, we've talked about quite a lot. And it, uh, it tends to be something that varies on a patient by patient basis. So when we can safely treat all the sites of disease, we will do that. And there's a, a few reasons for that that have been suggested in the literature recently. First of all, by treating more sites of disease, you're exposing more of those antigens. You're, you're giving the immune system more chances to see what the tumor looks like and help. You're debulking the tumor more uh, to help uh, decrease that immune suppression and just give more of a response. And so when possible, when safe, we'll treat as many sites of disease as we can. By using the proton therapy and minimizing the radiation to the normal lung, we feel that we can also safely treat multiple sites. That being said, for a given patient, uh, based on the size of lesions or you know, other factors, if it's felt that, no, it's not safe to treat all of this, we're gonna treat here, then we won't treat all the different sites of, of disease. And so that, that's a great question and will really kind of vary patient by patient. And then uh, proton beam, um, is it covered by the institution on this clinical trial or is it charged off to insurance? So that is charged to insurance. The, without getting too deep into the, mm -hmm. the weeds of, uh, of insurance coverage for uh, radiation, when you do this SBRT type of treatment, that actually is the uh, superseding uh, billing method for this type. So it doesn't know the, you know, the billing doesn't know if it's proton or photon. Um, mm -hmm. Also at Mayo Clinic, we charge the same for protons and photons uh, with the goal being, you know, we just want to give the best treatment available for, for each patient. Uh, in our early experience treating patients like this, we haven't had trouble um, with, with insurance approvals. Uh, but, you know, we do have a department, uh, our staff in our department that helps work through those things if it does become an issue. Thank you. Um, so you said that patients could be on, you know, many different types of immunotherapy. So I'm wondering, um, are all of these patients tr uh, treated at the Mayo or can patients who are on immunotherapy at other sites who are in clinical trials, can they come and enroll in this clinical, in this, uh, you know, program? Yeah, they can come and enroll in this program, whether they're receiving their immunotherapy in Rochester or elsewhere. Um, mm -hmm. The radiation itself, those three to five days of radiation would need to be done at our site in Rochester, since this is a fairly um, specialized type of radiation and the ability to use proton therapy uh, at, at our center. And this is where we have the study approved. So patients can be getting, I've gotten all their other care elsewhere, can be receiving their immunotherapy elsewhere. The only requirement for coming to Rochester is to, to do the radiation treatment. Right. So I think, you know, we can probably help you with that as well. I know you have a Hope Lodge, so, you know, that would also always be the first choice. Um, but 
you know, if you do have patients with mesothelioma and they are enrolling in this trial and they do not have the funds to stay in Rochester, we have a program to help with that and for transportation. So, you know, want to make sure that we can work together that, you know, there's not a financial barrier for patients being able to, uh, you know, participate. That's, that's really kind of you. And, and thanks for that offer. I think that's a great thing for patients. Right now, the Hope Lodge has been um, kind of closed, at least intermittently because of COVID for a while. And so um, I, I'm not exactly sure on the status of that uh, today. It's kind of been up in the air, but it's great to know that there's resources for patients uh, to help them, you know, with the logistics of coming and getting that treatment. Yeah, we, uh, we cover, we help to cover transportation as well as housing. So, and, you know, we do it on a needs basis. Um, as a foundation, we have to make sure that, you know, we, we've done due diligence, um, but we're more than happy to help patients. And, you know, um, we really, we, we believe that it's important to get these clinical trials accrued and completed so we can move the data forward. So um, have you already opened this trial and have you started treating patients already? Yes, we have. So we, we opened the trial last month and uh, we've just recently begun uh, treating patients. So we're still in the very early stages. We haven't had any, you know, data to look at for how well is it working. What we know so far is from our experience that it appears to be safe. We're not seeing uh, new side effects or things like that. And that's really all you can tell at, at this point is it takes some time for um, some follow-up and, and scans to see what the, what the results were. Uh, and so right now we're, we're encouraged and we're looking forward to, to seeing how it goes. So um, I think also that you're looking at this in the second line of therapy or? So uh, we're, we're using this whenever patients are on uh, immunotherapy. And so that context uh, will, if they started out with disease that wasn't going to surgery and they, with the new studies, are now starting on nivolumab and ipilimumab, patients like that who have a lesion that could be treated up front or a lesion that's progressing after some time, but they still want to stay on the immunotherapy, we can treat them. Uh, some patients are receiving pembrolizumab in the second line, and we can treat at that time as well. So uh, the study really doesn't specify exactly where in their different lines of treatment has to be, just that they, they need to be receiving immunotherapy. Okay, and then in terms of radiation, uh, you know, so many patients have had a pleurectomy and radiation. So um, does that preclude them, or are you looking for a lesion that's outside of a prior radiated field to be able to enroll? Great question. So for this study, we would like we're treating lesions that are outside of previously radiated areas. So if they've had, like you mentioned, the pleurectomy and decortication and had hemithoracic radiation, and that recurrence is in the area that they previously received radiation, then this study may not be um, the best study for those patients. That is to say we still couldn't treat them and, and help them in some way, but with this type of high-dose radiation, um, we, we'd be worried about some of the risks of toxicities treating with a high dose in an area that's already been treated, and so that would be kind of a case-by-case -case issue and, and likely wouldn't be patients that we would enroll on this study. Thank you. And um, also peritoneal mesothelioma patients who've had high PEC and recur, you know, with distant metastatic disease in the chest, would they be included or is this strictly for pleural mesothelioma? This study is for pleural mesothelioma. Um, that being said, again, in patients in that situation, we're more than happy to see them and mm -hmm. to discuss, you know, what's the best 
treatment for them. We, we have treated um, you know, on a case-by-case basis, patients in all types of different situations. And so, you know, we would, we're always happy to see the patient and, um, you know, consider their, their treatment history and medical history and current uh, disease state and, and help provide a recommendation on what we think might be available treatments at that time. Thank you. And, you know, when we talk about immunotherapy, I think it's probably fair to say that there's between a 25 to 30% response rate to immunotherapy. So, you know, I like to encourage people that are, you know, if they are in immunotherapy or considering it, um, that, you know, to, you know, to see, you know, to maybe add something cutting edge to the treatment, you know, with the anticipation that there might be some synergy between the, you know, between the two therapies. So. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. We've seen such great progress for our patients in the last couple of years with immunotherapy and, and a lot of different diseases, including mesothelioma. And, uh, and that's really helped our patients with both quantity and, and often quality of life. That being said, uh, as you mentioned, for many patients, that response only lasts a certain amount of time and many patients won't respond. And so now we need to build on the success of immunotherapy using other types of treatments uh, like radiation, like this SBRT to see if we can, uh, you know, try to improve their outcomes further, uh, allow longer and more durable responses without adding any significant toxicities if we can. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess, you know, another question that comes to mind is, you know, the patient who's maybe have started with immunotherapy, failed, went on to chemotherapy, and now would there be a role for that patient to consider immunotherapy again, coupled with this uh, with this therapy? Is there, uh, you know, an avenue for them to enter this trial? Yeah, th- those patients would be um, would be eligible uh, for this study, and it would be a, a conversation with their medical oncologist to make sure that the medical oncologist thought that resuming immunotherapy or maybe trying a different immunotherapy was appropriate for them at that time. Uh, but in that case, we would certainly. Uh, we would certainly uh, be able to enroll them on the study as, as long as you know, there was no other reasons not to. Uh, one of the main uh, uses for this type of treatment uh, for our medical oncologists who helped us design this study uh, was that when they're treating a patient with immunotherapy who has had progression on immunotherapy in one area, but it seems that maybe the immunotherapy is controlling the rest of the disease well, mm-hmm. well, this is able to come in and treat that one area uh, and get some more mileage out of the immunotherapy and, and hopefully even stimulate it to, to work better going forward. That's a great thought. That, I mean, that really is a great opportunity. Um, you know, I know that, you know, so many patients now are going on immunotherapy and, you know, the wave of the future is going to be, you know, the next steps for those patients. So it's nice that you were future thinking that, you know, you would consider, you know, those patients who had already been exposed to immunotherapy and either were stable or failed, that it considered for them to uh, to look into this trial. So um, perfect. So I'm yeah. really excited about this. I think this uh, sounds like a really good opportunity for patients. And um, uh, what type of side effects are you seeing to date or what type of side effects might they, uh, might they expect? Great question. So uh, with that, the side effects that you would expect or what the rate of those would be will depend on each patient how big of an area we're treating and what exactly that area is right next to for where the radiation is going. Uh, I think going into the study when we were designing it, one of the main side effects we were thinking about is pneumonitis, which I know you've talked with your audience about before. 
uh, pneumonitis can be caused by immunotherapy, and that's inflammation of the lung, kind of like a, a bad pneumonia caused by the, the immunotherapy. And it can also be caused by radiation in areas where radiation happened. And so coming into it, you'd be concerned that, are we going to increase the rate that patients have this pneumonitis when they're getting both radiation and immunotherapy? To try to counteract that as best we can, first of all, we're treating kind of the smallest area that that we're able to by doing this SBRT technique where we're having that sharp dose fall off and really trying to minimize radiation dose to the normal lung. Uh, also using protons uh, when it's uh, clinically appropriate will help us reduce that dose to try to minimize the additional risk that SBRT is adding to immunotherapy. Still, that is a possibility. Uh, another possible risk when we're treating areas on the chest wall and next to the ribs, that the radiation can cause inflammation of the muscle or even a broken rib right there. And that can cause pain for somebody that can last uh, sometimes for a while. We haven't been seeing that at all, but it certainly is something that is a possibility and we do everything we can to try to minimize those risks. And if it did happen, certainly treat the pain with, with medications afterwards. Um, for patients who had um, cancer right up next to the, the middle of the chest by the esophagus or the airways there, there'd be a chance that we could cause a, a sore throat with the radiation dose. Um, as a part of this protocol, we have fairly strict um, radiation dose limitations for what can go to different normal tissues to really try to keep those risks minimal and try to minimize the the additional toxicity that the radiation adds to the immunotherapy. Good. So I, I have a question that I'm just thinking about this now that, you know, we talk a little bit about with immunotherapy that, you know, it's not as fast sometimes as chemotherapy. It may take a three month window before we start to see results. So if you have patients that have already started on immunotherapy, um, when do you scan prior to starting this radiation that, you know, to help you to understand, you know, what the addition of this radiation was to a response? That's, that's a great question. Uh, and it's something that uh, is, again, on a case-by-case -case basis, because we don't have a perfect answer for that, that question yet. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you see a lesion that's been growing for over a couple of scans, then that tells us that this is a, a lesion that should probably be, be treated. Uh, lesions that are stable, though, still, you could get some of those same immunostimulatory benefits that we talked about before, whether that lesion's kind of growing or, or not, by helping to expose more of that lesion to the, to the blood and to the immunotherapy and white blood cells by debulking the tumor. And so typically, um, this isn't starting at the very beginning of immunotherapy, though it could. So you'll have at least a scan afterwards to see what the um, kind of what the timeline of things are, how it's changing. That being said, uh, as you know, Different responses can happen on very different timelines for patients. Progression can happen on very different timelines. So that's not really something that we've um, tried to standardize or, or be restrictive for all patients on when we can start or when we can't. But your question about what's the best timing of adding radiation to immunotherapy, that's a, a great question and something that's being studied in a lot of labs and uh, radiation labs around the country uh, in different contexts so that we know well, how do we time the radiation with the immunotherapy to, to optimize the, the synergistic benefit that we're providing? And I think that's still an open question. And then uh, the length of the immunotherapy, um, is this, you know, are we looking at the typical two-year period of time where if patients are responding or stable, they do two years? And then you look at your data at the end of those two years, or 
How does your data fall in with all of this? So the, the, in terms of the duration of immunotherapy, that would be per standard of care or per, per the, the patient and, and their medical oncologist, you know, whatever they're, they're planning on doing. So we wouldn't necessarily affect that. But as you said, two years is often the, the standard duration and what we expect. Uh, for this study, uh, what we're primarily looking at at this early phase study is making sure that this is safe. And so mm-hmm. seeing after three and six months in a year, what's the safety of this? Is this a feasible treatment approach to study further and, um, you know, bigger trials to, to look further at the effectiveness? That being said, we're hoping that we see signals for effectiveness of this treatment as well. And from those uh, blood studies that I mentioned earlier, that we see some um, lab and immunological evidence of, of uh, synergy with the radiation as well. Thank you. And um, I don't know if I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. I might or I may not, but I'm wondering about the timing. You know, there are a lot of patients who are also very excited about T-cell trials. Are there any thoughts as to whether a T-cell trial is better served before or after this type of therapy? Has that been looked at or, you know, discussed? I mean, I hear a little bit of buzzing in the background, but I don't know that, you know, we we know how to line these up for patients. that's a great question. And, you know, in other um, cancer types like uh, lymphoma, for example, we're, we're really a little bit further along trying to learn about how radiation can interact with those CAR T cells, with those T cell therapies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this setting, we really don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. This type of radiation, we think is much better suited to work with, potentially work with T cell therapies in the future because um, when we're treating a small area, we're not treating a large volume of the blood. Uh, T cells are very sensitive to radiation. And so if you're even delivering a low dose bath to the heart and a lot of blood vessels, you'd be worried that the radiation would be killing a lot of those T cells and decreasing the effectiveness of that treatment. And so while we don't know the answer to that, that's something yet to be seen and yet to be designed. I think, uh, at least from my perspective, doing this type of radiation focused SBRT and with protons to really decrease that, that low dose bath, to other parts of the body would be the way that we would want to do that. So that regardless of the timing of the radiation with the, the CAR T, with the T cell therapy, uh, we wouldn't be uh, causing a detriment to that treatment. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I, I just wanted to sort of clarify in my mind because I do speak to so many patients and try to, you know, everybody wants to know how to line these things up. And oftentimes we don't know, um, so I look at it, you know, that you want to keep as many possibilities open. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been really a great discussion. I mean, you really have educated us on, uh, you know, on your clinical trial and on the field of radiation. Uh, is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have asked? No, I think um, I think I really, again, appreciate uh, you doing this and, and the work that the foundation does. I think that if a patient is... Uh, is interested in this study. Uh, I think that's something to talk about with their their treating doctor and um, can find our, our contact information on the Mayo website in terms of talking to a study coordinator to see if they would be a good, a good candidate for the study. And uh, we're happy to help in any way we can. Thank you very much. And um, again, thank you for being with us today. This was terrific. Have a- thank you very much.